There's an aspect I love to Holy Week, and that is the contrast of the big public events in the scripture, like we saw yesterday and like we'll see tomorrow, and the quieter, more intimate scenes like the one we have today. I think it's important to note the chronology here. In our reading, Jesus has not yet entered Jerusalem. He is instead in the town of Bethany, functionally something of a suburb of Jerusalem. Jesus is a couple miles away and one day away from beginning the path that leads directly to the cross. I've always found that there's something quintessentially human about this in the preceding chapter. I imagine today's reading was the last time as a mortal man that Jesus was able to relax and be happy and just enjoy the company of those around him. In John 11, the preceding chapter, Jesus receives a message that Lazarus is sick and dying. And the gospel says that despite his love for Lazarus and his sisters, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Only then did he depart to make towards Lazarus' tomb. Because Lazarus needed to die so that Christ could resurrect him, because the resurrection is the last straw that sets in motion all the events of Holy Week, it needed to happen. However, that doesn't mean that it wasn't painful for Jesus. He encounters Martha and then Mary on the road to Bethany, but once the subject turns to Lazarus's tomb, Jesus, in a truly human moment, begins to weep for his friend. And it does really seem to me that Lazarus, along with Martha and Mary, were truly Jesus's personal friends. Then Jesus, of course, orders the stone removed and calls Lazarus out. This leads to many of the Jews in Jerusalem, and remember, Jerusalem would have been packed due to the Passover festival at the time, coming to believe in Jesus, at least for the moment, and the temple priests prodding to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. And this is where we begin our reading today, a calm moment in between the push and when the ball really starts rolling. Kind of puts me in mind of a pause at the top of the roller coaster before it starts accelerating downhill. Today we find Jesus and the disciples in the home of Lazarus, uh, presumably either the evening of the latter's resurrection or the day thereafter. We find Jesus seated as a guest of honor, Lazarus seated by his side as the host, and his sister Martha acting as hostess. Now I say that Lazarus and Jesus were seated, but in the culture of the time, people lounged on their sides while eating, which is rather than the sitting that we're accustomed to. This explains to me at least that how Mary was able to take her perfume and anoint Jesus' feet. When I imagine this scene, I always imagine Mary doing this rather inconspicuously. I don't think it's a coincidence that no one responded to her action before we read that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In my mind, we're meant to read this as Mary innocuously approaching Jesus, who, remember, would have been reclining on his side and breaking open the perfume's container and applying it to his feet. Only once the aroma begins to permeate the house does anyone notice what she's done. In John, it's uh, Judas who's quickest to chastise Mary for what he judges to be a waste. He complains that the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor, as he judged it to be worth some 300 denarii, which, to give you context, would have been about a year's income for the average Roman. Now, the gospel helpfully tells us that Judas wasn't really upset or concerned for the poor. He was just upset that he wouldn't get to steal the money. But Jesus addresses this as if the point had been made in good faith and says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. 
Our passage today is principally narrative in nature. It is meant to help us transition from the events of the gospel into the events that lead up to Christ's death, while also preparing us for his royal entry into Jerusalem by giving him an anointing, quite literally fit for a king. But I think if we look a little deeper, we also find that this passage is instructive. It shows us three very particular forms of worship for Christ. First, we have Martha. Martha demonstrates for us the worship of service. The scripture tells us that she is serving Jesus and the disciples, seeing to their needs and comfort. I think this form of worship is very familiar for us. It's given fullest form in the seven corporeal acts of mercy that line the windows of our sanctuary. We are to serve one another, and through that, we will also serve the will of Christ. Second, we have Lazarus. Now, I think a casual reading of this passage can tempt us to think poor Lazarus is being a tad lazy. Putting aside the fact that he was dead a day earlier, he doesn't seem to really do much in this passage. And I think that that's precisely the point. He's not doing anything other than being still and present with Christ. I think in our modern chaotic world, it can be very easy to overlook the value of taking a moment to just center oneself on God. In the world we live in, it's very easy for everything in our day-to-day -day life to devolve to just the level of a checklist, and I think if we're not careful, the same can happen in our relationship with God. Our prayers can become just another item on the list, a thing to be done and moved on from, and before we even realize it, worship becomes yet another chore. Perhaps we would all benefit from the original Sabbath tradition, a day where we forbid ourselves work and, like Lazarus, clear away all those distractions that hound us and afford us another mo ourselves a moment to simply be with our God. And finally, we come to Mary. I have difficulty putting into words how much I love this moment in Scripture. It is a worship of sacrifice, of humility, and uninhibited spontaneity. First, let me emphasize again, 300 denarii was quite a lot of money. This perfume which Mary used was almost certainly the most valuable and precious thing she owned a thing meant to be used sparingly, only by the drop and only on the most special of occasions. And yet we see her pour out her treasure with a sort of reckless abandon. Her love of Christ overrules everything else. Pragmatism, societal norms, and propriety are all assumed by the sheer desire to express the fullness of her love and gratitude for the one she had only just the day before confessed to be her Messiah. It can be easy, I think, for us to take our ability to worship for granted. I confess, before the last year, in a lot of ways, I very much did. I'm lucky enough to live in a country where, under normal circumstances at least, I can worship more or less when and how I please. For the majority of my life, I've been absolutely induated in opportunities. And in this last year, with our forced separation and the restrictions on public meetings, I've really come to realize how much I took these opportunities for granted how much I took my ability to meet with all of you, to stand in this beautiful sanctuary of ours, to be an immutable fact of my life. I'm disappointed that it took a global pandemic for me to really begin to appreciate what a treasure being able to meet like this is. And I think in those terrible days after Christ's resurrection before Easter, a lot of the disciples probably felt very similarly. They might have felt that they had taken Christ's presence for granted as well. Christ tells them over and over again throughout the Gospels that his time remaining is short, and I think in past years, I think I might have said that it was shocking how none of them seemed to 
really grasp onto that. I sometimes wonder if perhaps Martha ever wished that she had been a bit more present or if Lazarus regretted not being more exuberant or joyful in the presence of Jesus. But in this last year, I think I've gained a new perspective. After Christ's death and those terrible days between the first Good Friday and the first Easter, I now imagine that Mary Bethany at least was able to take a small comfort in the knowledge that she had not wasted her opportunity to make her love known to her God and that the quiet contemplation of Lazarus is not Mary's form of worship any more than it was Martha's. Each of the disciples worshiped Jesus in their own way, and I like to think that, in their own way, they made the most of their time with him. They didn't waste their opportunity to show their devotion and love in the way that was unreserved, undisguised, and uniquely theirs. Now, of course, none of us will ever have that opportunity. We've been born some 2,000 years too late. However, that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't with us in other ways. So I think if we take nothing else from our gospel today, it's that we should seize our opportunities for worship. Whatever form that worship takes, be it servitude, contemplation, or unabashed and unreserved exaltation, we ought to embrace the opportunity and remember that worship is not performative. There is no singular way to express worship. It is expressive, an expression of love and devotion and an expression of the individual themselves. Perhaps if there's nothing else that we take from today's scripture, it is that worship is a form of love, and love, above all else, is a gift. And nothing that we give to Christ, even a priceless perfume, can ever truly have been said to have been wasted. Thank you. Praise be to God. <laughs>